we're gonna end up getting it here at eleven o'clock again, and John's John's eyes are half closed. <laughs> I don't know how, but he's looking at both of us right now. <laughs> Welcome to Talk Theory to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of thirty somethings on life, love, and the never ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turg. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. Here we are, episode two. Episode two. And I'm completely humbled by how much support we've gotten off of the first episode. It's amazing. I've... I was surprised, quite honestly, that people even went out on a limb to try and listen to our podcast. I I can't believe how many people listened to the first podcast. It's pretty insane. Yeah. Between that, all the Facebook likes, the Twitter retweets, I was actually more taken back with how many text messages, Facebook messages, emails, phone calls I got about the podcast. Personal touch. Yeah, that was really nice. We want to just give a big thank you to everybody that's been supporting us and sharing it on Facebook and telling people about it and listening to it. Thank you very much for your love and support. Absolutely. Thank you. I mean, we couldn't have done it without you guys to start. It's good for us to keep on going because now we know we have somewhat of a following. Right. People that actually care about what we have to say and that we're making an actual impact because that's the whole point of doing this thing. It's about making an impact. All right. So let's talk 30. I posted a a question on our Facebook and it got some some interesting responses. The question was, what about turning 30 is so scary? scary. And uh, we had a couple interesting responses. On one hand, it's like, oh, it's when you're you're finally you're really an adult. All the things that you set out to accomplish, you may not have. <laughs> and it starts to weigh on you and then one person was just like, I'm turning 30 this year and I can't wait. <laughs> so you got the mix, yeah, like you said, running through the mm-hmm. gamut of emotions, the highs and the lows, the perplexed people the excited people the indifferent people the confused people there's a whole range of those people what would you define yourself i mean when you were turning 30 how would you define that moment in terms of your emotional state because i know you mentioned that last time yeah um you mentioned that one day you just woke up and you're like oh i'm 30 i gotta do i gotta do something that defines my 30s but you didn't really focus on what you were feeling Right. I mean, I think I was more along the lines of where you were before you turned 30. Uh, and you, was, you said, me, yeah, <laughs> you said, it's just another day. It's not a big deal. I, you know, I, you're going to reach it, you're going to pass it, and you're just going to keep going. And, and that's kind of the perspective I had. And then the day, the day I turned 30, I woke up and I was just an emotional wreck. I was just, everything was just kind of setting me off or getting me a little teary eyed, just like, I can't believe I made it this far. So for you, it was scary. I wouldn't say scary. Surreal? Surreal, yes. Surreal, yes. Scary, no. Did you ever picture yourself at 30? Did you ever think about it like, one day I'm going to be 30? How is that going to make me feel? You know, it's funny because I thought 28 was going to be old. And when I was in college, I thought, you know, the oldest I'm going to be when I have kids or when I stop having kids and being married is is 28. The societal ideal. Yeah. Right. Um, How old is too old? To have kids i have a kid I, I had a kid at really doesn't matter it was 2014 but i don't know how old i was in 2014 probably 29 28 or 29 somewhere there. i think it was 28 and i turned 29 that year anyway it doesn't matter mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is you have a whole lot of uncertainty that the 30s bring along and i think our uh, a lot of our followers represented that 
uncertainty. It was good to see some feedback in any shape or form. I know one of my buddies actually got back at me. He said, there's no time like the present. And that's really, uh, that is kind of like how I define my 20s. There is no time like the present. Carpe diem, seize the day. Get out there and do what you have to do to get done what you need done. But now it feels like there's a clock. It's kind of winding down, ticking down, and it feels more apparent. Hmm. Wouldn't you agree? I don't know if it feels more apparent. I, I, I mirror what you're saying about the 20s and, and, and you know, just kind of going for it. I might have had a little more reluctancy earlier, not taking as many risks as I did as I got older. Which is ironic because in your 20s, you mentioned you were a lot more reckless. So def- explain that. Uh, financial risks. I, I probably could have bought a house and expended myself way more than I could really afford. I could have done a lot more things recklessly with like contracts and getting into different deals, but I didn't. So I guess in the mentality today, when I'm looking back at it, I was a lot more conservative with career choices and taking chances in that regard. Do you regret any of that? Looking back, has anyone you've known taken a risk and you were like, ah, it's not going to work out. Now you have those, they're, they're moderately or relatively successful. No, um, I don't think I'm that pessimistic. I'm more of the encouraging uh, variety. Okay. But, Uh, I mean, a part of you has to think, like, wow, if I had done something a little different, I might be there. I mean, it's not like – I wouldn't call it envious or pessimistic in in that regard. I would call it more like one of those what-if moments. Yeah, I definitely have what-if moments. You know, what if I didn't break up with my girlfriend in college? And what if we ended up getting married right after undergrad, starting a family, this and that? Where would my life be now? It wasn't until after college that I actually started diving into business, creating all the different ventures that I have now. And it's hard to, to be regretful of the 20s when I've had like this this amazing year um, after turning 30. So I feel like a lot of things that I've done, especially in the last like three to four years, have really set the foundation for where I'm at now. And where I'm at now is I still don't necessarily have a clear vision, but I'm definitely taking larger strides and more purposeful strides. Yeah, I can kind of I can kind of agree with that. Uh, your 20s was a time for exploring an adventure and now it's more like you said every move you make now I I can kind of contrast that by saying I'm the opposite. I'm a lot more calculated now than I was before. Before I was taking on any job I could find just for the experience just to get some kind of guidance. Mm-hmm. try things out that I really didn't like so I could find something that I really did like. And when I found something that I really did like, I latched onto it and I took it the distance. And more times than not, that distance was very short and sweet, right to the point. I don't think I held the job for more than, God, two years early on, which they say is bad for your resume, but I saw it as more of I need to get that experience. I actually think it's the opposite because – a lot of people I know in their 20s stick with a job for two years and then move up for either the title bump or the pay raise. That- I got neither. <laughs> I really, I mean, I was doing random things, just random yeah, things throughout. Yeah, that's true. And, and there was no consistency. There was no continuity to my resume until I stumbled on to my latest job before this job, and then that launched me into the food and beverage industry, and I will never look back. Really? Mm-mm. Because, like you said, everything kind of builds. But I feel like 20s were so hectic. And we, we actually graduated in a point of turmoil. I mean, all of our listeners could probably agree to that. Yeah. We graduated at the uh, the pit of pits. I mean, mm-hmm. the, dubbed the second Great Depression. 
we had a recession. Right. Obama took office and preaching change and everyone was in this weird kind of hazy mindset that things were going to change, but things didn't change. Things stayed the same. And that was the frustrating part because when I was in college, I was being told, yeah, you're graduating with an engineering degree. You can get 60K starting. Mm-hmm. And that was that was amazing. I mean, at this at that point, 60K was a lot of money. Yeah. Now it's peanuts. Right. It's what, 10 years later? <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. I, I mean, I went to I was the first in my family to go to college. And in doing that, I didn't have this this real guidance factor. I was just told this is what you have to do. This is what you're going to do, really. And this is you're going to get a better job because of it. You're going to make more because of it. And even after, you know, coming out of undergrad, working where I've been for seven years, like I'm like barely surpassing where my dad's at as far as like pay rate. And it's a little sad. But then I work in education, so, you know, that doesn't really pay as well. Yeah, that's and it's a slow climb to the top. Slow, slow climb. Yeah, that's why I got out of teaching. There's no movement. There's no vertical mobility for your career. Yeah. You got to kind of latch on to something that has, uh, uh, unfortunately, nowadays, a lot of volatility, kind of like a revolving door kind of thing. But that opens it up for you to move and move quickly. But then got to be careful because your future is in your own hands. One screw up, one misstep, and that could cost you your career. But that's the 30s. And that's that's why I feel like I'm a little bit more calculated than I was in my 20s. Whereas you you kind of contrast that by saying you're you're taking a little bit more of that risk. Yeah, I'm scaling back a little bit. So I guess I guess you know I was reckless in the sense of going out and drinking and just having a lot of fun. I guess we could say not caring about the next day. Not caring about the next day, right? Even though you know recovery time was was like nothing, so I didn't really worry about. It. Unlike this past weekend where I went to a wedding where my friend, a friend that I've actually known since we were six, we went to elementary school junior high high school she went to ucr with us and then when i came over to to sc she went to sc for grad school so like we've been together since we we're half of forever you got history <clears throat> right and then she ended up marrying one of my good friends from undergrad okay nice. and you know next thing you know you see kids that you haven't seen since you were you know at 13 and one thing leads to another and then you're just hung over and it's horrible it, it kind of becomes at, at that point did it become a dick measuring contest like who could drink the most <laughs> no or? it wasn't even like that oh, okay so you're just doing it because you're having a good time just having a good time i just had too much fun That's... but the point i was actually trying to make really before we got into that is i was very calculated in my 20s i think and and now i'm i'm more of a risk taker in the sense of if someone asks me to take on a job or take on a gig and i'm not entirely sure if i can do it I'm going to say yes, especially if there's money on the table, and I'll figure it out on the way. Mm. And I wasn't like that before. I'd only take things on where I knew I could master it, and I knew I was going to shine. What changed? I think for me is when photography finally started popping off for me, I started being okay with saying yes to certain things that were out of my comfort zone. And with turning 30, I just felt like I've had no significant contributions, no significant creations, whether it be from a child to a piece of work, or anything in a catalog of some sort, which is really untrue and very and really short selling myself on what I have accomplished. But that's just how I felt going into 30. I was like, I'm just going to say yes, hmm. say yes and keep and just see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. And that's where the film kind of came into play. And I still don't know what I'm doing, but now I've also been contracted for other film projects. They like what I did and what I've put out. So it's worked out. And that's yeah, I, I, I can't say 
that I would do something like that now. I might, but I'm more of, and I was actually reflecting on this the other day. I'm actually choosing carefully what I do now. Hmm. So yeah, we're complete opposites on that. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm, I was reflecting on the fact how several opportunities have come across my desk in the past six months. Really? I've said no to about 90% of them. Except this podcast. Except this podcast. Because (laughs) it was kind of like that aha moment for both of us at the same time. And we knew it was going to be a good idea. There was no doubt about that. Yeah. But everything else that has come across my desk, I had no interest. It's like, no. It's not (laughs) worth my time. Because now my time, especially with a family, now my time is a lot more precious. Right. This is time that I'm spending away from my family. Not in a bad way. It's nice to have this moment where I could just get out, put my thoughts down on uh, this this metaphorical paper. Mm -hmm. Just get it out there so I don't have to keep it in my mind. Kind of like what I was talking about with the bullet journal. This is like my second brain. That's one thing that I, I can say with certainty that I don't think I would be that ballsy anymore. Which is kind of upsetting. I used to be spontaneous and a risk taker, but now this kind of calmed me down a little bit, took me down a notch. I'll combat that with the fact that I think less than a year ago, maybe about a year ago, mm-hmm. uh, before you got the job you have now, uh-huh. we were this close to buying a batting cage. Oh, yeah, that's right. I wanted to buy a batting cage really bad because I just wanted to get back into baseball and get back into baseball form. Mm-hmm. And I found this business online that just went out, just went under. And I wanted to buy it. That was me trying to find a rhythm. I think I had just quit my job and I was looking for something. And I was yeah. like, oh, man, I need something right now. Yeah. And I was just kind of grabbing at everything. And and, and that was – I took a step back from that. And I was like, wait a minute. I have to kind of reel it in and get a little bit more focused. I got focused. And in that span of two months that I had quit my job, I had eight interviews with major corporations. Mm-hmm. I got two job offers. And I took one of them and that changed my life because now this perspective I have is, is a lot more insightful because now I'm a part of the corporate world. I have a corporate visage. I'm transforming myself from that aggressive, impulsive kind of person to a more PC, giving uh, very vague, generic answers. Uh, <laughs> it's weird. I've changed entirely and it kind of bothers me. Because I've lost a little piece of myself, a little piece of what makes me me. So here now I'm on the other end of the spectrum where uh, going into my 30th, I'd say two months before that, we had someone leave in the office that was a higher position than I was. And so I wasn't even considered. And I went and confronted my boss about it. How come I'm not being considered for this position? I do all the same functions, this and that. And it came down to he's like, I would love to hire you. You're the best candidate for the job. You don't have a master's degree, so we can't promote you. And I think that was the turning point for me. Wow. That's when I just said, I took the, I was like, all right, well, I'm taking the time with the July off, booked my seven one-way flights. Got it. And I, I was just like, that's, that, I think that was what put me over the tipping point of like, hmm. I did this shit all wrong. I, I fucked up my entire 20s. I, I invested myself in this and I'm getting no return. Now it's on me. Now I have to do this shit. Now I have to slowly win myself out of this and rely solely on myself. I can kind of see eye to eye with that, too. And and even my wife and I were reflecting on that the other day. Like, did we do our 20s all wrong? I, I, <laughs> did we move a little too fast? Because we got married, bought a house, had a kid. All within, got a year, two, something like that. Yeah, but that was at, like, 27, though. That's our 20s. And that, those, arguably, are the golden years. So I'm looking at all my friends on Facebook, and they're traveling and all that. 
grass is always greener kind of complex. Of but then I kind of ground myself and I, I, I tell myself, wait a minute, I have a house, albeit uh, a mortgage payment, <laughs> which really sucks. But it's good to kind of have that tangible investment that I can put my hands on and say, I have this. I have a kid. I have a wife, a very happy life. But we're both looking at all our friends traveling and, and all that. And it's still we get that grass is greener complex. It's like, what if yeah. we did things differently? Not to say that I wouldn't want to have my kid. I love my kid. Best thing that ever happened to us. What if we did our 20s differently? Yeah. Traveled and instead of binge drinking on a, on a weekend or spending all that money going out to bars, trying to chase girls, whatever it was, mm-hmm. we took that money, saved it, or found someone to invest in us and, and take a trip around the world. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, why can't you do that now? I mean, you have grandparents available for babysitting. Yes and no. You don't want to rely too much on them. You have a sister available for babysitting. And, and a sister that's gainfully employed and very busy as well. And that's the thing. People have their own lives, and we do too, and we made this yeah. choice. Yeah. And, uh, and it feels kind of feels bad pawning our kid off on someone else just so that we could have a good time. Although, really wouldn't mind it. As a matter of fact, we're trying to go to Vegas, and that would be the first actual vacation without a kid if we end up not taking them, which, I don't know, I feel guilty not taking them. It's, uh, it's different. Yeah. Let's put it that way. You got a lot more to think about now. Yeah, I'm over here thinking like he won't know if you leave him. He's You're not right. Gonna, he won't. He won't be like, remember that time that you went to Vegas without me, Dad? <laughs> he's not gonna. He's not gonna know. Oh, I'm sure he won't. But, but you know, I guess I can't relate. As well. It's difficult. I'll tell you that because when I was in your shoes, people were talking to me about kids and, and growing up and all that, and I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kind of like you know, my mind was somewhere else. And now I'm talking to you about kids and in. It's probably the same way, and I don't take offense to that. You don't know how it is. I had no fucking clue a year and a half ago. I really didn't. Yeah. And now it's like, now I know. You really hit like this point where you're fucked, and you don't know what to do, but you have to figure it out, kind of like what you said. So I guess that is my risk. Yeah. Right? I've defined that as my risk. My child was my he, – he, every day that we are with him, we're taking a risk. Uh, elaborate on that a little more. We jumped into it without knowing where we were going. Mm-hmm. We took a risk, okay. right? As parents, trying to care for an, uh, another being, incredibly difficult. And you have, no, you, you have no starting point. There's no book written to define the steps that you take to do certain things that you do. I mean, there are. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> but not very generic, very vague. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Do you know how old your parents were when they had you? It had to be in their 20s. Yeah. Right. I think my parents were about 26, which was late for that time. That time. Yeah, the 80s. Yeah. And I think about where I was in life at 26. I was like, I was just just a baby. Mm. How how did you do this? How did you at 26 married and had a house and had me? They had no idea what the what the fuck they were doing. I guarantee it. Yeah, I'm sure. I asked my parents and they brush it off like, yeah, we knew what we're they had no fucking clue. And that's fine. We came out fine, I think, so far. Right. We made it this far, right? Mm-hmm. But society has changed. And we kind of hit on this last uh, podcast where we were talking about how society has changed. And the responsibility and the pressure is completely different than what it was back then. Back then, our parents were just starting off. They had no idea what they were doing in life, let alone in family life. Mm-hmm. So to put... That kind of pressure on someone isn't fair. 
So I think society kind of relaxed, and people saw that, eh, you know what, let's have our fun before we get married because aren't, those marriages aren't lasting anyways. All parents got divorced. Everyone, like, what, 60-something percent of families are, are, were broken up, 80s families. Yeah. 80s, 90s families. Mm-hmm. There's a high divorce rate, 64%, something like that. Don't quote me on it. That's pretty astonishing. And people kind of saw that, and it woke everyone up. And like, well, why the fuck am I going to get married right now if I'm just going to end up divorced? Let me have my fun. Maybe I'll find someone. If I find someone right, I'll settle down. That's the mentality now. Back then, it was like, well, we got to get married. We got to have kids. We got to have a house. We got to have a mortgage yeah. and all this because that's what society expects. Right. And now it's it's at a point where it, there's, there's this line that you walk, dating at 30 especially, where you don't want to settle or you don't want to get into the wrong relationship or be with the wrong person for the forever for the marriage but you also have this constrained amount of time if you really want to have kids because it, you know becomes high risk past a certain age in your 30s and so now everything is is looked at in a microscope and i had a friend tell me he was he was dating one girl and i guess she was getting a lot of i want to say he was younger probably like 26 and she's 30 and her parents were getting on her about not having a kid and not being married and so and she passed it on to him and stressing him out like well where do you see us in like two years where do you you know do you think we're gonna get married and this this guy he's just he's not even there he's still thinking about pursuing medical school and going that route which is a huge commitment in itself and this girl is over here talking about well no we need to get married and have kids now and he's like i barely know you that's a very good point a lot of a lot of people are placing education before marriage yeah and there is no formula there's no magic formula for it but education is a time-consuming process not only time-consuming but financially consuming if you're planning on getting married and having a kid and going to school probably gonna have to figure something out and that's very well, I mean, you're you're thinking you you already have a master's degree, first mm-hmm, off, mm-hmm. and you're talking about going back to school again to get my MBA to get your MBA. But the thing the thing that's more important about what we're trying to say is is the balance factor because you work full time, mm-hmm. you're gonna go back to school for mm-hmm. the MBA, and then you still have a son that's that's is he a toddler? I don't even know how old yeah. a toddler is. Yeah, anywhere from when they start walking or crawling rather to like three. Really, mm. a three year old is a toddler. Mm. Wow, I have so much to learn. You do. I didn't. I didn't know that until. And I'm probably wrong. And someone's out there listening, like, "No, you idiot! It's, it's like <laughs> two or five. I'm thinking three. But anyway, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of. There's now. There's a lot more pressure on that. So I feel, and I have friends going through this right now. I have. I have a, a friend, a really good friend of mine, who just got engaged, and he's getting his master's right now. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a lot, you know, that's a lot of financial rigor you're putting yourself through. And now they're saving for a wedding. They're getting married next year. And there's a whole bunch of logistics you have to figure out on your path to getting married. Okay, so they did it that way. You were referencing a friend that he wants to prioritize education before marriage. That's when you got to make a decision. What is more important? Mm-hmm. And nowadays, it's hard for people to decide because on one hand, you have your future career-wise, right? right? And on the other hand, you have your future relationship and, and romantic-wise. Okay. Which one trumps the other? That's a decision that's very difficult to make because now, like you said, you didn't get that position because you didn't have a master's. Right. 
Now people need a master's. Yeah. A bachelor's just doesn't cut it because the market's so saturated. Education was so cheap for us than it is now that everybody was getting their bachelor's. It was like a, a, an episode of Oprah where it's like, you get a bachelor's, you get a bachelor's, you get a bachelor's. <laughs> my, only, my only disagreement with that is I don't think it was necessarily cheap for us. Relative to now? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was a 32% increase the year we graduated. That was ridiculous. Mm. But I think it was more of a social construct of like, oh, you go to high school, you go to college. That's just what you do now. Mm-hmm. You don't go to the working world. You mm-hmm. go to college if you want to be something. Right. Or I don't even know what some of the things that teachers or, or role models that I was listening to were telling me I need to go to college for. Mm-hmm. I just knew. That's a good point. I had to go. Yeah. I don't I don't remember eighth grade or high school. We, um. Yeah, that's because was, yeah, it was just a thing you did. For me, I knew you went to college to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher. And to start, I was pre-med. To finish, I was pre-law. Dropped pre-law because I was like, fuck this. I can't. I don't want to do this. And I went into education. <laughs> well, that's the funny part about school. They let you choose whatever you want, but they don't tell you how hard it is from the get-go. Or maybe they do, and you're like, meh. Yeah. I can do it. Right. Because, I, you know, I, I was a standout student in, in high school. This is going to be a breeze. They, I'm ready for this. Not necessarily the case. And that's what I'm dealing with now. <laughs> and that's the sad part about it. A degree defines us. Yeah. And that is the pressure of now versus then. Whereas then you can have a trade. And then by then I'm talking about. So even in the 80s. I'd say anywhere from post-World War II to about the end of the Reagan presidency. You could be a tradesman and be a complete rock star. Knock it out of the park completely. Career-wise, community-wise, whatever you're doing. Blue-collar hard worker, and you earned your keep. And now you have to have a degree, and which is ironic because those people, the tradesmen, Look at the people with degrees as snobby, know-it-alls. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting that a lot at work. Really? I'm butting heads with the older people, and they don't regard a degree as experience. Tell me how that works. I don't get it. But I'm, I'm working with a lot of older older people. A lot of older people. I mean, the, the, the stilled spirits industry has a lot of old kind of people that have been doing this their right. whole lives kind of thing. Right. Very frustrating to work with them because they look at me, I'm 30, young whippersnapper, trying to take my job, which I really am, <laughs> but I, I need to learn a little bit more first. Right. And they look at my degree and they're like, well, what do you know? Yeah. You just have a degree. You don't know what you're doing here. But it's different, though, because I feel like of all the degrees, engineering is the most practical, and that's what you have. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm working in a, in a field that's, you know, it's education and some, you know, parts of it are counseling, some parts of it are advising. And the new person that came in that had the degree that's higher than me, when that person first started, I was putting out the fires. I was, you know, training. I was, I had more experience in how to manipulate university policy, how to get kids through the system mm-hmm. and, and be successful with them. And, and it's just like, I'm training you and I'm, I'm like, I don't have the title. I'm I'm technically your subordinate. It's frustrating. So I I see it on that regard. Right. That's where, where I'm at too. Where I have I have you know seven years of experience in doing this, and this person comes in, and knows nothing, and you know screwing some things up here and there. Nothing beyond like repair. 
Actually, I'm just that good. That's why it was repairable. <laughs> I don't but, know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it, it's just frustrating. I see where their where their frustration is because they put in the years of work to get to that position. But you know, things change and technology and changes, very and that's fast, where right? I feel like, like I said, engineering stays on the. the I mean, most stuff that you're gonna learn in school is old. It's never gonna be up to date or mm-hmm. or advanced mm-hmm. technology that Except you're gonna the learn. Sciences, those really don't change a whole lot. Sometimes, yeah, that's true. The question now becomes: Well, you did you did go to grad school at in your twenties? I didn't. Yeah. But you decide you you're gonna go back. You're going for the MBA. What's the expectation? What I've done in my um, short time unemployed uh, a year and some months ago was go on the internet and do an all-out blitz on where I on on people that have the job that I eventually want. So I figured, where do I want to be in 10 years? I said I want to be in operations. What's the highest you can get in operations without being a CEO and running your own company? Because I really don't want to do that yet. I want to be a COO. An operations manager would be nice, but COO would be even better. What do successful COOs have? What is their, you know, what does their resume look like? So I Googled successful resumes for COOs in manufacturing. Found a whole bunch of resumes. One thing they had in common, MBA, 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 Harvard, Yale, Harvard, Yale. COOs have MBAs from very prestigious colleges. I knew I needed to get an MBA eventually to to move up through the ranks. That is my expectation. Mm. I want to be regarded as a company leader, a revolutionary thinker, which I think I am. My company environment right now is very reactive. My a lot of things in this world are still kind of reactive. I won't fix something until it breaks. Okay. Because you need someone more progressive in continual improvement. And that's what I'm trying to bring to my company, continual improvement. That doesn't stop with the company itself. It starts with the individual and it perpetuates itself onto the company. If the individual is not a progressive, your company is not going to be progressive mm-hmm. because they don't believe in that mentality. That is what I'm trying to do. And we could probably talk about this for a lot longer, but that is the end game of being a leader in a company to change things, right? To actually put forth actions that make a difference. And I feel a COO, that's where the real impact is going to be because we're always caught with the whole notion that change comes from the top. Change comes from above and it trickles down. If the top doesn't truly believe in what everyone else is talking about or, or what they're talking about rather, everyone else isn't going to drink the punch. Now, my question is, and this is where I'm struggling with, with grad school, is your degree is going for an MBA a formality of getting to where you want to be, or do you feel like it's really going to give you uh, some type of skill set or some type of new knowledge that's going to prepare you for that position? I've talked to a good amount of people that have gotten their MBA, and fifty it's split down the middle. Fifty percent of them say that my MBA really didn't give me any real world um, edge mm-hmm. in terms of knowledge. And the other half of them say, yeah, absolutely. If it wasn't for my MBA, I wouldn't have had that competitive edge in terms of the education, in terms of the knowledge. So I don't know. I guess it's kind of a wait and see approach. And mm. it, I think it all depends on what kind of company you're in. I think if you're in finance and banking, MBA is probably just a formality. Mm-hmm. I think for something like manufacturing, where, where I'm trying to go, MBAs are kind of rare. And engineers with MBAs are even rarer. Is that a word? I think more rare. More rare, yeah. Be the so, proper but user. I wasn't going to stop you. It's okay. It's fine. 
that is that that is the edge that I think I have. An engineer with an MBA with a background in continual improvement that can really bring that well-rounded portfolio into the fray and say, I can actually make a change because I have that skill set. I think an MBA would definitely help because it adds to my skill set. It gives me that leg up to say, I know continual improvement. I know engineering. I know science. I know math. Now I know business. Mm-hmm. Get me on something that I don't know, and I will find a way to get that information, to get that knowledge. Yeah. See, where I struggle, and I, you know, I'm sorry for, for putting this out there for everyone. I can get a free master's degree from my institution that I work at. Fuck you. I know. And I've been there for seven years, and I haven't done it. And part of it's because I am over the idea of like moving up in education and, and kind of have one foot in, one foot out, ready to go. And going into, into entertainment or anything, anything in the arts, really, I question the need or the validity of an advanced degree for success. Now, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it hampers or dampens, rather, your creativity rather than enhances it? Because degrees, in essence, are structured. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about arts and all that, very open-ended, very free-range. What right. do you think? You know, I actually looked into the, um, the the fine arts, Master in Fine Arts, and I went to their little info session, and it was just so – there was no structure at all. I don't think I could actually function in that kind of environment because if if I need to be successful and I just have to do this as a formality or just get through it, I need to know what boxes I need to check to get to the end goal. That's ironic. Right? Just because then I know what needs to be done so that way I can get that shit over with and move on with whatever else I want to work on. That's how I kind of treated undergrad. For me, undergrad got in the way of my life. As soon as I finished undergrad, that's when I started a company. Never studied business, so I spent a lot of time studying business after graduate. I think I've read more books and studied more since I've graduated than I did at all when I was in school. So maybe you're pursuing the wrong thing. You're saying spend more time pursuing the the career itself rather than getting the the degree for the formality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you put that kind of energy into into what you want to eventually become, you will become that. But that uh, brings about the argument of being a tradesman versus an educated person. And and in your, it kind of like where you're going, I don't think that really matters yet, yet. Right, well here's 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 the catch, or here's the, the thing that kind of I get hung up on, is at some point in time I wanna to return to the classroom, and I wanna teach. Whether it be with the arts, whether it be with, with writing, whether it be photography, I don't know. But at some point that's, that's the end goal. And I think to get there, I'm probably gonna need a master's degree at some point. Yes, you will. You actually get paid a whole lot more if you have a master's. Yeah, but I haven't I haven't been in a classroom since we were since I was doing student teaching in undergrad, and so I don't have the the experience I guess you could say, to warrant getting a job without real teaching experience, and having a master's degree. Yeah, you don't need teaching experience, and, and and maybe I'm wrong. You it it all depends on where you go. True, true. Be it public or private. I opt for public specifically the, the school district I grew up in. Then you probably should get a credential as well. Yeah. You're going actually you probably should think about that sooner rather than later if you want to do it. Yeah. <sighs> why well, I don't understand why you keep doing that. Mouth breathers. Is that what that is? I'm a mouth breather sometimes. I'm a mouth breather too. And so is my son. So and I'm son. worried. <laughs> <laughs> your son. That kid that kid is a riot, but he has I just I how do you keep up with that guy? I don't no, 
Uh, he's outsmarting me in almost every possible way, and I don't know how he's managing to do that. He is very perceptive. And that's the weird part about being a parent. You pick up on these little subtleties in your kid's progression every day. I, I get really fascinated with like kids and the idea of it's like, you really don't know what this is. This is a television. You don't know that. A stupid example, but I just I just get really fascinated with it. like when a, when a kid is exposed to something new, and just seeing their face, just like that intrigue and that wonderment. And that's the thing. Even if they've seen it before, it's still new to them. Yeah, because they don't really know what it is or how it works or what it does. So it's it's trying to figure it out every every chance that they get. Yeah, because I was talking. I was at a wedding this weekend, and I was talking to my buddy about. I was actually mentioning Ethan. And how we were at dinner, and this little guy pulled out a phone and was just like playing three games at simultaneously, like right. switching between games. <laughs> and uh, my buddy somehow his son, he goes to open an app, and his son double clicks the thing to turn it off, and then swipes it. So he's just like, I can't, I can never open anything. He, if he doesn't like what I'm doing, he he closes it and swipes yeah, it. Yeah, I'll be writing a work email, and he'll think I'm playing a game or something <laughs> like that because he's so used to seeing me play a game. He'll grab the phone, just grab the phone end up hitting like keys, random keys, and then send at the same time. Is that why you always tell me you, oh, sorry, that was a fat finger text, my bad. Yeah, <laughs> that was my fat finger text. <laughs> How you could tell someone has, really has fat fingers, their emails are illegible. Anyway, <laughs> he is notorious for sending out email. I have this kids mode on, on my Samsung Galaxy, my work phone. Um, he hates kids mode because he's realized that you need a password to get out of it. He doesn't know the password. So he can't get out of it. So he looks at it and he's hitting the home button on it. And he looks up at me. He's like, hmm, sorry, buddy. You can't get out of the app. That's that's the way the app was designed. You can't get out of it. It's meant to keep you out of my shit. He wants to be in my shit. He wants to be in it so he can fuck with my shit. He knows how to open my the My Vegas app, the the uh, Blackjack one and the... And oh, I was the, like, why why is there a My Vegas app and your kid knows about it? That's, yeah. That. Uh, my, my, one of my employees introduced me to it. And you can get free... Uh, hotel points and all that. I, I guess really stupid thing, but it's fun. It makes cool noises. He loves the intro song, so he opens it up. <laughs> okay. He collects my bonuses, plays a couple of slots, gets gets bored, hits the home screen, goes to my emails, hits the home screen, goes to my texts, hits the home screen, opens Clash of Clans. See, I'm not ready for. I, ca- I I cannot handle this. This sounds exhausting. I'm just watching him the whole time, so I'm just sitting there with a big smile on my face, like, where's this kid going now? You know, what's he going to find that he's going to latch on to and he's going to love it? So I, I, I play NBA Jam on my phone. I'm trying to beat the game with every single franchise, with every single team. And he loves it. What else could you be doing with your time? Well, he I play it with him. Oh, okay. Because he loves watching it. So that's okay. the only re- I Before, I never even opened the damn thing. I mean, it's one thing to beat a game. Okay, I understand. Like, I don't have the patience to do that. But to do it with every single franchise? Yeah, it's a lot of work. No, it's, that's a lot of commitment. It is. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Maybe you just identified a root cause in your relationship struggles. You're afraid of committing to a fucking video game. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, we're going there now. Already. I'm just stating okay. the obvious here. Okay. I'm okay. sure our okay. listeners could piece together the, uh, to put together the pieces of the puzzle. You just kind of led the horse to water there. Wow. I can't commit to a video game, let alone the relationship. <laughs> no, no, no. That was the underlying that, point that, right there. That, that was not. Everyone not picked what, up on. <laughs> no. Apparently, nobody, except you. Nobody picked up on that everyone at all. Everyone picked up on Nobody picked up on that The whole world fucking picked oh up on that. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, getting back. Getting back to, to it, it is kind of exhausting because uh, I have to worry about him dropping my phone, breaking the screen. But he's actually very careful. He's a very observant kid. And I love him for it. 
But there was this one time where I got enraged. And not really enraged in a bad way, enraged in like, oh, this kid has outsmarted me again. Like, how did he figure it out? I was, I think I was standing in the dining room. He was over in the, in the, in the living room. Right underneath the TV, we have this little stand. And it doesn't hold the TV or anything. My TV is on the wall. And he's looking up at the TV. And, and his, attention, his attention wanders. He looks up at the little thing underneath the TV. And he sees my wife's glasses there. Right for the picking. And he reaches up. And I'm like, ah, that's all I have to say, ah. And he looks at me. And he places his hand gently on the glasses. <laughs> and he's still maintaining direct eye contact with me the whole time. And he starts pulling them closer and closer toward him. I'm like, ah, Ethan, and he stops, and a little smile appears on his face, this little smirk like, do something, motherfucker, (laughs) do something, and he knows I'm not going to do anything, or maybe he doesn't, I don't know, maybe he's just testing the waters. After that smirk appears, he starts pulling it closer and closer and closer to the edge. I'm like, Ethan, don't do it, and he pulls the glasses off, yanks them off, and starts playing with them and bending them almost instantly. This is like one fluid motion for the kid. All while maintaining direct eye contact with me. Not even engaging the glasses. Not even engaging the glasses. He doesn't care what the glasses are. It could have been it could have been anything at that point. But that is when it clicked. My kid is an asshole. <laughs> well, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And and it sure doesn't. Because you are I mean we both are we're both assholes. That's that's kind of I had this revelation the other day. Everyone that lives and resides in Southern California is an asshole. Look at the way people drive. If you can't say that the slow asshole in the fast lane or the fast asshole in the slow lane are assholes, then you got a fucking problem. You might just be another fucking asshole. (laughs) You just might be another fucking asshole. (laughs) That's Southern California. I think we're all, we all kind of take that on. And I came from Northern California when I first got here. I was like, God, people are so inconsiderate and it's only gotten worse. I don't think it's gotten any better, but now I'm in that whole fray. Mm. I've, uh, I've adopted that mentality. We're just all assholes out here. I mean, if you accept it that way and if you look at it that way, it's no problem anymore. I think I think people are just people, and we're the assholes. I, I travel out to Kentucky quite often, and, God, people in Kentucky are so nice. People on the sidewalk will flag down a car if you look remotely lost and you look like you're from out of town because you have, like, Louisiana plates on your rental car. Flag you down, hey, you lost? As a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> they'll give you directions. They'll point you to the nearest, you know, watering hole best restaurant in town oh it's funny that you said because i was in texas early early december and we we called for a lift me and my buddy to go to i can't remember it was one of the barbecue joints i think the one from the movie chef we wanted to go there okay oh okay and nice. we told the guy he's like oh well i could take you there but i know other ones that we i could show you we can just drive by and just see just look because i guess that place like shuts down early because if they run out of meat then they're done for the day makes sense about an hour and a half later <laughs> Jesus, we, you're paying for this. No, he ended up turning off the app. He's like, you know, I'm just having such a good time giving you guys a tour. Don't even worry about it. We're just going to drive around. And I'm wow, gonna, what a nice guy. Yeah, so he took us to like every, like from, I can't remember what it was, but there's this natural pool or this natural springs in the middle of Austin where people can go swimming and stuff like that. And it's across the street from where they hold like Austin City Limits. And then he took us like to all the flagship stores of like uh, Whole Foods and a couple other things. He's like told us where all the, the hip places are to to, to for music, for dancing, from the Dirty Six to Rainy Street. He's like, if you want to go here on Sunday, you'll see Elijah Wood eating brunch every what? Sunday. What? Yeah, it's just Elijah Wood lives in Texas. I don't know. I that's what he. I think he said. It. He said the guy from from Lord of the Rings. Uh huh. It could also be the other one. I don't know. Sean Austin Steele. I forget his name. I don't know his name, but 
I know him as Rudy. Yeah, Rudy. I was going to say, I know Rudy might live out there. But anyway, it was, yeah, people are just so amazingly nice outside of California. Oh, that's funny. Texas, I wouldn't imagine. Oh, no? Being nice. No. Well, I think Texas is kind of like a rough around the edges state, you know, them and their really conservative thought. But I, I don't know. Could just be me. But Austin is also the very liberal part of Texas. That is true. I wouldn't mind living in Texas if I knew a little bit more about it. But how, yeah. how was your experience out in Texas? Good? Oh, man. Like, Aside I was... from that little adventure, would you? Oh, yeah. You talking about, oh, that not that adventure? The other one? The one I just told you about? Yeah. Oh, no. I don't know what adventure, other adventure you're so... referencing. But you could tell me right now. <laughs> One of the nights that we were out in te- in Austin, we went out to uh, the Dirty Six. I think it was the first time we went out, which is essentially like I, I guess like a downtown where they shut down like the, the entire street, and so you can just walk across streets to the different bars. Okay. And at the that's first every that's every weekend. I don't know. I think we just happened to get lucky that night. Oh. Uh, that was the f- was the first spot we went to. I don't remember the name of it. Coming back from the bathroom, we had just ordered food, so I, I mean, the night was just beginning. The problem the problem was I was wearing a pair of boots that were a little too big for me, and I caught my foot on the top of the stairs. And I took a tumble down and I, I knew I had the presence of mind. to know I was like, oh, there's no way I'm catching myself. I just went completely limp and just hit the ground. How do you how are you conscious of that? It's happening so fast. Yeah. And I was just how like, you figure that out. I was just like, well, I didn't want to put my arms out because I was like five steps up. Uh, I was like, there's no way I'm going to catch myself. I'm like 300 pounds, bro. There's no way I'm going to catch myself and right. not break an arm. So right. I just just went down like with my arms to my side. Just, <laughs> and, and, you know, you ever see you ever see cops when like something really pops off and the camera falls to the ground and it's like the, the, <laughs> yeah. the views horizontal like, with the person right. right that's what my vision looked like i just right. saw feet uh, like within a matter of seconds and i pop up and then security's like all right so you're done you need to leave and no I, way yeah and i, I looked, thought you were drunk yeah were you i mean i had like a couple drinks but it wasn't enough to be like that type of intoxication you were inebriated mm-hmm. i think that's the word for it i don't know if that's Anyway, so you I weren't. I weren't. I was not. I weren't. I weren't. <laughs> I weren't. I weren't. I weren't. But I look. I look around, and the only other brown face in there was my friend that I brought and his wife. And so I just, I didn't want to be like, "How dare you not ask if I'm okay? My elbow hurts." Like, I have a quick question to ask before yeah. to cut you off. Did they look the complete other way? Like we don't, we don't know brown face. We don't know that brown face. <laughs> like, no. Don't kick me out by association. No, one, well, one was with me, and she's like, "I didn't know you fell. You popped up so fast." Uh, and then we got you back. Played to- it off as Jay Smooth, like, right. "What just happened, everyone?" Right. <laughs> I, I didn't hear that loud thud. Loud thud? Did you? No. But I don't think Texas gets earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> you hear the you hear the wine bottles jingling. <laughs> Bottles fall off the bar. What just happened? I don't know. So we ended up leaving promptly after that moment. Everyone? Yeah. So you pretty much ruined the party? Yeah, we just went right next door to the next spot, though. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, so they shut down the whole street. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. But the best thing about that story, though, is I've always wanted a pair of designer jeans and distressed jeans. And I'm a bigger guy, so they don't really make them in my size. Apparently, I not only caught my foot on the stair, but going down, there was like a nail that got caught in my back pocket and had this really dope rip in it. Ah, did it get your ass? No, it didn't get me at all. But I remember throughout the night, I put my hand in my back pocket and I was like, there's a hole. <laughs> and like, I thought I had like my pocket was like ripped off. But then I checked the next day 
And it was just this really cool rip. So you have partially designer jeans. Partially designer. I mean, it's enough. They pass. They do. Well, I mean, uh, you're wearing them right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you showed, you flashed it earlier. You were trying to show off. You was trying to show off earlier, huh? Yeah. You yeah. like my designer Old Navy jeans? <laughs> <laughs> They're O-N now. O-N. On. <laughs> All right. So, Terry, where, where's your head at? Well, interesting you say that. Or ask that rather. In the last week or so, I've been listening to the Black Keys. Somehow, I wasn't really into the Black Keys. They never really popped up on my radar. Funny thing about that is, I listen to the Raconteurs. I listen to the White Stripes. Love Jack White. Mm-hmm. And the Black Keys is very bluesy, kind of rock. And I like that. I love Led Zeppelin. Yeah, it's my style. Okay. But the Black Keys are cool. They're groovy. I get into it. Not all their songs, but a lot of their stuff. I can really rock out to it. Right now, I wish I haven't heard the their latest album. I think it's Turn Blue, um, but I've been but I've been on Brothers and everything before that. What's in your head? What what are you what are you playing right now? You know, I think it wasn't until this particular album that I liked this artist. I was listening to Drake, and it was uh, Nothing Was the Same. But the reason why is because I was actually at a barbecue with my buddies, and we it was I'd say probably two years ago. We were in Shreveport, Louisiana. We went there for a bachelor party. Well, we were a surprise bachelor party for the groom. And it was on some real, you know, the hangover. Picked him up on a Thursday, mm-hmm. took him out, and we had him back by 10 a.m. Saturday morning for the ceremony. And throughout the whole time, it was like all it was like high school all over again. All eight of us in a blacked out suburban, driving around Shreveport, bumping. Nothing was the same the entire album. This <laughs> shit was amazing. We even had like, even, in, I think I think it might have came, came on in the strip clubs too. Like it was, we had like, it's like fortuitous. Yes. Yes. Wow. And just, I'm on my worst behavior. <laughs> I can't say I listened to Drake ever. I, I did see the uh, whole thing going on around the internet with the that music video. Hotline Bling? Yeah. Yeah. That was hilarious. Yeah. I, I never really liked, I, I kind of tried to get into Drake, convince myself that he wasn't boring. I would say, like, I haven't liked much of his work since. And and leading up to it, wasn't too much of a fan. Mm-hmm. But that album was a pretty solid album. I really liked it. I mean, you should listen to it if you haven't. I would say if you're going to give him one more shot, that'd be the album to give him the, the chance on. It, it literally dropped the weekend that we were out in Shreveport. Oh, okay. So you have that emotional attachment yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. It's like whenever I'm feeling nostalgic or I miss my buddies, because I have a couple friends in Texas, and now they moved up to the city up in San Francisco. And there's still a few guys here. But, like, when you, you know... You're just missing the camaraderie of having all your boys around. And I'm the one probably that's the most uh, MIA because of how much I, I work. You know, I I miss them, and I just kind of put that on when I'm driving. Just It just takes me back. Yeah. Well, that's music. That's the beauty of music. It brings you that nostalgia. What about you, Sankeys? Do you have uh, anything in your headphones? Oh, look at that. We're out of time. Oh, Sorry, Sankeys. We can't get to you today. Next episode, we will Damn, get to you. Did this happen last time, too? Did it? I don't think so. No, no. No, we had you on last time, right? Yeah, yeah. So we we'll, didn't, He's shaking his head no, but I could have sworn he was. He made the cut. Anyway, next episode, we'll definitely have you on, Sankeys. Definitely have you on. Thank you for being here, though. I mean, you've sucked through the whole podcast waiting for your moment. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we weren't able to give it to you today, but you know what? There will come a time. And I'm, I'm thinking, I have a good feeling about the next episode. Episode three, that's where Star Wars turned around. I think our podcast will definitely turn around episode three. I like that prediction. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on Talk 30 to Me. My name is Randy Z. I'm Turk. Please continue to tell your friends about the podcast. Continue to join us in conversations about being 30. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Talk 30 to Me. 
and follow us on Twitter at Talk30Pod. And if that's too much for you, you can go ahead and follow us on our website, Let'sTalk30.com, where we have all our social media, blog posts, and podcasts featured. We are also featured on iTunes as well. That's really neat. So don't forget to do that. All technical difficulties have been taken care of. And you can find both of us individually on Twitter. I'm I am Randy Z. And I'm at the underscore ruined. Thank you for listening. You guys have a good one. I've always wanted to stress dreams. Even walk into that, like that's there's no transition. This is why I can't face them. This is this is why we have to be facing different directions. I can't look at you, <laughs> I can't, I can't even be serious right now. This is ridiculous. Okay, it's the caffeine from here. <laughs> Thinking about a cat snorting cocaine. Why? Don't know why. I do not know why. <laughs> Popped into my head. Figure it out. Okay. Sorry. I was gonna say this is this is why he didn't make the first podcast. <laughs> He's not gonna make the second one either. <laughs>